0: My heart is, um, is filled uh, in so many different ways, and this is the kind of thing that fills my heart. It's, I will tell you, every Sunday morning has this effect on me as I watch so many people working to make this happen, and so many different things have to happen, and so many different things do happen. Um, so many different people have so many different roles, and it's so powerful to get to experience that in community um, that's, that's why I look forward Sunday after Sunday to being with all of you. And then um, this week, one of, my, one of the cool things about my role, one of the many cool things, is things kind of funnel to me. Information kind of funnels to me over time. And it is such an amazing uh, blessing to get to hear about what's going on um, within the community. So just, just as an example, how many, how many hands held high were, went without power or water at some point during this last seven days? Keep your hands up. How many of you were invited or encouraged to come to somebody else's house or had stuff brought to you or anything like that? Yeah, pretty much all the same hands. That's, that's a we. I think the legs could have stayed at a different person's house every night this week, uh, just based on invitations easily. We had so many different people, and that wasn't even us reaching out. It's amazing to know that I have a, a database of a thousand people who I know I could reach out to and say... Hey, I've got this person. Could you take them? Hey, my family needs a place to stay that's, that's warm and has water. Could we come stay with you? And to know that, that, that pretty much unless you're also not home because you don't have the same thing, um, we would have happily invited anyone to our house. We had neither water nor power. We didn't get water back till yesterday, so it wouldn't have been an upgrade for you. Um, uh, but, but it was amazing to see this. This week I heard examples of, um, of people making deliveries. For other people, I saw this stuff happen, making deliveries of food, waters, all different types of supplies um, medication was was something that people ran out of this week, and other people were going um, man if you had a four wheel drive vehicle this week, uh, you were in need and it was really amazing to get to see people doing uh, runs for people, and were happy to do it by the way, it was a i mean why else have a four wheel drive right that 's that's why you own it it's so people will call you and ask you if they can use it so the um, people renting hotel rooms for people with no homes. Um, this was this was something going on in our community that people were doing. Uh, people offering their homes, in some cases filling up their homes with people and guests, um, with people who needed a warm place. Um, there were some examples of people who had family in hospitals who there could not get to where they were, and so they were going to people's homes nearer the hospital so they could be a part of that. Um, people <coughs> helping one another and their neighbors with Water leaks and ice dams and stuck vehicles and, and all kinds of things like that was going on all week. And I was hearing examples of people from our body um, doing these things. Our church was open. Uh, hopefully, you got an email about that. If you didn't, then you made to check with the office to make sure your email's up to date. But we actually, our church was open. Um, if, you needed, if you needed a place to stay or a place to get warm or you wanted to invite someone to come do that, the church was open for that, even for overnight. And in fact, many nights we had people up here um, overnight, um, staying many of the nights up here. Um, it, our church was even offered, there'd be no way for you to know this because it ended up not happening at the last minute, but something to be proud of um, of each other with is that the church was actually offered um, to a senior living home that had lost power, and they were in the process of figuring out how to transport an entire, entire population of a senior living home here to the church um, and at the last minute, I guess their power came back on or something, and they ended up not needing to do it. But but uh, Lance was kind of on the cutting edge of trying to make that happen. Um, people reaching out and checking on each other. Um, it was, that was seeing that all over the place. Um, one of the cool things for all of its evils, one of the cool things about social media was how easy it was to, for people to check on each other and to, to say, hey, does anybody have this? Um, how many of you <laughs> at some point this week read, posted, or asked about like, what restaurants are open, what's at what stores, who knows where this can be found. It was amazing to watch uh, the church interact with that. And of course, as is often the case with this church, even in a time of crisis, we as the staff had more people contacting us to say, how do we help? Then we had people contacting us to say they needed help. And that has happened every time this has happened. During, we, we, we actually laughed at times about COVID. We had people giving specially to the church to hold for people to need um, and giving either saying like, how do I help people during the COVID, during quarantine, during all this? And during that time, that was about a month period when people were calling us, hey, quarantine's bad. How do I help? How do I help? We didn't have anybody call and ask for help. Um, But we had dozen people calling, offering help. Like, hey, I want to help somebody. Do you know anybody I can help? Like it's a, it was an amazing, it's an amazing thing. And then I will also tell you uh, maybe one of the most powerful ministries, apparently, that we offered people during the snowpocalypse during this last week was disc golf, because I'm telling you, it was never empty. There's apparently nothing that keeps those people from playing disc golf. I mean, 16 degrees, two feet of snow, 12 cars up there up there playing disc golf. It is a, I have said before, and will probably continue to say, I hope I eventually learn to love Jesus the way some of these people love disc golf. It is, it is amazing. So, Apparently, I mean, if you've if you've never experienced it, apparently it's like some kind of serious drug. Um, so you, if you've never experienced it either, stay away from it. If you have an addictive style personality, or uh, go go it's it's we're it's a cool ministry. It's got a lot of different and neat things are going on with that as well. Um, so again, church, uh, we partnered with new. We got to partner with numerous different ministries, numerous different churches um, in the community, and I know you did as well. Um, even for those who were hunkered down and just making it through a few days of that. Um, What a a great reminder in some ways of really what it means to be the, the church. And of course, don't ever let it discourage you that you're not seeing that in the news. You're not reading about that in places. It's happening. It's always happening. It's happening all over the world. There are people in the name of Jesus giving their lives and of their resources in amazing ways to bless other people. Um, And, of course, that's not going to make, that doesn't fit whatever narrative is being pushed nowadays, so that's not going to fit, and that's okay. Um, That's not who we're doing it for. Um, And so, um, praise be to God that we have one another um, to get to when we go through tough times to be there with each other. Um, The other side note I would tell you is uh, is that today's sermon is going to be a little bit of a Bible drill. So I'm going to be going through quickly. So if you, those of you who are old school Baptists know what Bible Drill is. Um, you don't have to stand when you're the first one there. You don't have to stand in point or anything, um, but it's in your head. They'll be on the screen, but we're going to be running through a lot of passages because this little passage we're looking at today has at least two phenomenal concepts in it that I cannot move past without unpacking. <coughs> I will finish unpacking them next week as we continue... Next week, I'm going to actually create a a very clear picture of what I think judgment is how it's revealed scripturally. Today, we're building up on that with two concepts that we're going to have to look at here from Daniel chapter 12. So you'll remember Daniel chapter 10, Daniel gets visited by numerous different um, supernatural beings that show up, and one of them sits down with him, possibly Gabriel, and begins to unpack the future, the history of the future. For Daniel, in detail. It's sometimes where we can easily go back and plug in names even. It's that detailed. Um, (coughs) So here we have, that's all happening. And then suddenly, near the end of chapter 11, that's no longer happening. And there's no clear break in the passage. It's just that suddenly in chapter 11, it's yes, 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 check, 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 check. And then the, the, the angelic messenger begins to tell things that didn't happen in history, that haven't happened clearly yet. And so my assumption, as with many, is that that's because they are things about the history that are still in our future, just like they were in Daniel's future, even though the vast majority of the book of Daniel is historical to us, starting in this section, and it is probably when, when the angel uses the term um, in the end, so the end days. And so I think that's where we're living, and we'll be continuing to see this play out. And that's where we are. We go straight into chapter 12. And it's a time of tribulation, especially for God's people, for the Jews, Daniel's people. And here's where we are, verse chapter 12, verse 1. And at that time shall arise Michael. Now, of course, they would say Michael. Um, the, the reason if you've ever wondered why Michael is spelled so strangely, with the A before the E, how weird is that, right? It's because El is the name of God. It's the title for God. And so Michael, who is like God? Who is like El? is the name there. That's the proclamation. The name Michael is a proclaimed rhetorical question. Who is like God? Nobody is. So here's the, the, who at that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people. It shall be a time of trouble such as never, such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the books. Seal the book until the, end of the, until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. So in so many ways, what we've been reading about was fulfilled during the Greek conquest, and fulfilled again during the Roman conquest, and fulfilled again during the Muslim conquest, fulfilled again during different conquests of this region and this area, fulfilled over and over again. Um, but I want to take a second, and, and again, once again, I believe we're waiting for that cycle to be played out again, and maybe again and again and again. Eventually there will be a last time through that cycle, and then the birth pains will be over, and, birth, and judgment will be given birth to But I want us to focus specifically (coughs) on one phrase first as we're building towards this idea of judgment. And that is this word, book. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. So first, you need to know the word book there is just a straight mistranslation. Um, It's for our sake is why it's there. There were no books. Books are a relatively recent invention. The word there would be scroll. We don't use scrolls anymore for lots of reasons, mainly because they're just a pain. Um, They're hard to use, and they're difficult to, to, especially to turn in, to turn to things in them. Um, They're difficult. This is the idea of what would be looked at, what, what Daniel would have been looking at, or what the angels would have been looking at, would be a scroll. Now, I was asked, and I don't remember by who, maybe one of my kids asked this week, what this is a scroll of. And I said, this is a scroll of the entire Old Testament in Hebrew. And he said, how do you know that? and I said, I, I, you're right, I have no idea what it is. It's, it's, I, it's not like I've checked all of it. I've never scrolled more than a few turns in any direction. <clears throat> anyway, um, the people I bought it from claim that this is the entire Old Testament <laughs> in Hebrew. Okay, so uh, this is the idea. So a scroll would have been used um, sitting up on you know, some kind of a pedestal or a dais or something like this, Okay, So you can see it would have been up like this, and then they would have been turning in it to read it. Now, they would have been turning opposite from the way we would have because Hebrew reads the opposite direction than English does. But this would be, and, and to be perfectly honest with you, I'm not even 100% sure that's right side up, but I think it is. Um, and so this is, a, this is the way they would have used it. It would have been sitting out and they would have read it. You can see how you could easily have seals in a scroll, meaning wax seals. You could easily roll up to a point seal it, and then roll new, more paper onto it. And you can have multiple, like the, like the judgment seals of the seven-sealed scroll um, in Revelation. So that's the idea. <clears throat> so when we see the word book, and I'm going to use the two interchangeably, um, like the Bible does, <clears throat> this, is a, this is what this is being talked about as some kind of a scroll. These would be stored. These are stored in separate things. And we know that there are multiple scrolls um, of the acts and deeds of humans in heaven or with God in his throne room as part of his judgment, whether they're stored in jars or on shelves. That's how, these were, that's how these were stored. We know there's lots of them. But there's a book that shows up, this idea of a book, shows up all through Scripture. It's nothing, uh, it, I mean, it's, it's, if you read through, you may have never noticed it, but it's there all the time. So we want to look at some of these references to God's book, spread throughout Scripture. So let's look, Jesus is speaking to his disciples after they have gone out and they have spread the gospel and it turns out they have power over sickness and over the demonic powers and they come back and they're, they're like on tilt about this. Like, this is so cool. We have great power through the power of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says in Luke ten twenty. "'Nevertheless, not rejoice in this, "'that the spirits are subject to you, "'but rejoice that your names are written in heaven.'" Okay, this is somehow a, a reference, Jesus' reference to this idea of a book that has names written in it. Philippians 4.3, the Apostle Paul says this, Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So you automatically should know as the way I'm coming at this, that just like when we study something like angels, that there's not one chapter that explains the, 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 the dynamics or the mechanics of angels. How do they live? What do they like? What's their daily experience? We don't know. And so when you don't know, what you end up doing is reaching, running all through Scripture and finding different references and trying to kind of connect them and link them like puzzle pieces, which sometimes is a mistake. We'll talk about that in a second. Well, you already know we're doing that with this book. Because there's not a chapter that's a chapter on the book. We can go to a chapter on love, we can go to multiple chapters on marriage, we can go to chapters even on parenting, but we can't find a chapter on the book. So we're going to be jumping around, and it's going to create some potential dangers that I'm going to talk about before we're done. But you'll notice, this just rolls off the tongue of Jesus and Paul, for example. So what is this book of life? We don't know for sure. Anyone who says I know for sure I think is, is abusing the passages. But here's some common theories. And the first one, which I think is totally wrong, is the one I think most Christians think of. So I think when most Christians automatically go to this idea when we talk about this book, just like the minute you reference hell, most Christians in America immediately picture a place with caves where there are humans being tortured by demons. That is absolutely not the biblical picture of hell. But it's what most people even Christians, church-going Christians, automatically imagine it being like that. Hell is a place for demons to be tormented. They don't own the place. It's not their home. It's not where they hang out and torment other people. It's where they go to be condemned. And unfortunately, humans go there with them. It's a a very wrong picture. And so this first one is, is this. This book, here's how this book works. This is what I think many people, many Christians would assume. There's a book. And when you walk an aisle, pray a prayer, when you convert, you get baptized, you put your faith in Jesus Christ, There's somewhere is a recording angel, and he's got a quill and an ink uh, well, and he dips it in there, and he writes your name in the Lamb's Book of Life. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, that's when that happens. And then... If you ever lose that salvation, if you ever lose that right relationship with Jesus Christ, then they come back later with paper and they with wet paper and they blot out the name, so that now it's just a smudge. It's just an ink smudge. The name is blotted out. And I think probably most people who call themselves Christians would immediately jump to like, well, that's what's being described there. It, this is this is based on more cartoon than it is doctrine. Um, it's like picturing um, Peter sitting at the pearly gates. That's that's a cool picture. It's not biblical, and so we have these pictures we automatically go to that are just not right. And this is the one I think most Christians would automatically assume. Oh yeah, it's a book. When you become a believer, your name become a church member, your name gets written in it. Right? That's how that works. No. So here are some of the more a uh, better founded scriptural concepts. One is that these are the names of the elect. These are the names of those people who, before the creation of time, before the foundation of the world, they were the ones chosen by God to be saved. These are the ones chosen by God to be believers. And therefore, their names were written in this book before the foundation of the world. There's pretty good evidence for this. For example, Revelation 17 says this, The beast that you saw was and is not, and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. And the dwellers on earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel to see the beast because it was and is not and is to come. So here we have people who from the found, before the foundation of the world, their names weren't there. Revelation 13, 7 and 8 says this, And authority was given given it over every tribe and people and language and nation and all who dwell on earth will worship it everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of the life of the lamb who was slain so the theory here is that there are some people whose names were written in before the beginning of time and some people whose names weren't which by the way clearly is the case some people's names are written in before the creation of time or foundation of the world and some people's weren't so who is that list what is that list Well, here's the problem. The only problem is that there are also multiple passages that talk about names being taken out of the book of life. Well, that's obviously a a difficulty if this is about the elect, because by definition, the elect could not have their names removed from the book of life. So we see something like Exodus 32, 31 through 33. So Moses, this is our first reference to this book in the Bible. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, this people has sinned a great sin. They've made for themselves gods of gold. But now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, please blot me out of your book that you have written. But the Lord said to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. Or back to Revelation, Revelation 3, 5. Revelation talks about this book a lot. The one who conquers will be clothed in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Now, it may just be as simple as this, as some people will point out. We don't ever see anyone's name actually blotted out. We see it threatened, we see it referenced, but we don't ever see it actually happen. And so maybe it's just academic. Could it happen? Ah, potentially, but it won't happen because they are the elect. But that's fine. There's another theory that thinks of this as the book of the living. And this one's really intriguing to me. Um, I don't know if I, if I buy it fully either, and I'm going to explain why none of these, I think, fit perfectly. I'm going to explain in a second. But this is um, I saw this one well explained by a guy named Joshua Barnes, who has a, a podcast called The Bible Explained. So when you look at some of these, it references the book of the living. So Psalm 69, 27 and 28 says this, add to them punishment upon punishment. May they have no acquittal from you. Let them be blotted out of the book of the living and let them not be enrolled Among the righteous. So here we have David asking for people to not be enrolled or to be blotted out of this book, the book of the living. But in this passage, David seems to be more talking about (coughs) people who are alive, or at least in good favor with God spiritually. Here's the theory that this one is. This one's kind of interesting. And I like unique, kind of coming at things, um, using all the passages, trying to stay faithful to them. Um, as, as you would say, like if it's, if it's weird, it's probably important. And so we want to we jump into it, right? Could this be, according to this theory, the book of the living, literally those who are spiritually at this moment alive? The theory is the minute that a human being is conceived or maybe before the foundation of the world, knowing they're going to be conceived, their name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Once written in the Lamb's Book of Life, so long as your name is in the Lamb's Book of Life... You are secure. When the book is open and you're judged, if your name is there, you're secure. This person's argument is, therefore, of course, from conception through being old enough to intentionally sin, your name would be written in the Lamb's book of life. At some point, as an act of defiance, of sin, of selfishness, whatever, again, no one knows exactly when that moment would be for each person, it would be something different, that the minute you defy God, that you sin, that you join in with humanity as being part of the sinners and the fallen and whatever, that your name would then be immediately blotted out. So we would say every single human being who's lived long enough to sin, you've had your name blotted out. And that the picture that Jesus is portraying, for example, in John 3 is that you must be born again, and in being born again, your name would be re-entered into the book of life and would never then, it would be entered indelibly, never to be removed again. That I like that theory. It takes into account all the different passages. Um, it tries to. I always think that's fun when people try to do that. I really appreciate, I will tell you personally, I really appreciate when a teacher or a theologian specifically and intentionally references the passages that don't fit well with their theory. I just love that. And he does that at the, end of this, at the end of this sermon that he's doing on this. He says, now, here's the two that I really don't like. They don't fit my theory well. And I really appreciate that. We don't get to skip the ones we don't like. That's, that's part of the rule of being a good Bible teacher is you don't get to skip the ones you don't like. So I think part of why it's a confusing picture for us is because we don't have a defining mechanical chapter. Hey, this is the diagram of the book. We know there's multiple books. It's going to say that in a passage we're about to read in a moment, that there's multiple books. And so I think very likely, here's the mistake we're making sometimes, and we do this when we study Scripture. Always got to be careful with this. The Bible isn't a textbook. The Bible isn't a textbook. It's not your social studies textbook. It's not your science textbook that has bold print words in it and a glossary at the back. You remember those? And so you you could find the bold print word and you could look up the glossary in the back and every single time that word is used in the entire textbook, it has that definition. It is referencing that thing and that thing only. The Bible doesn't work that way. There are times when the same word is used in the original language or in the translations that the word doesn't mean the same thing even though it's the same word. You have dozens of different authors over thousands of years writing in all different perspectives and so, sure enough, we're going to, find, even the same author will do it. Sometimes the authors do it on purpose to make a play on words. How's that for confusing, right? They will intentionally be clever with, with language usage in order to prove a point. And if you don't catch that, you will equate to things that they're actually intentionally making opposite. So, we don't get to do it that way. And here's what I think I think there is a book. I'm about to read the passage that's the closest thing we have to a passage about the book. But I also think because there is a book, anytime people who know about this book talk about judgment, they use the picture, the idiom, the concept, the metaphor of a book to describe judgment, to describe God's keeping record. And so what we're, we've, that's part of why it's confusing to us is because they don't mean all the same things. One of the great errors that we as evangelicals make, for example, is that every time Jesus has a tells teaches a parable, we think it's about salvation. You ever notice that? How many of you have ever wrestled through the parable of the seed and the sowers going, okay, which of these seeds are saved and which ones aren't saved? Which of the soils are saved and which ones aren't saved? Not the point of that parable at all. You're never going to be able to figure that out, by the way. You'll never, because it's not the point of the parable. The point of the parable is very different from that. And if, if you miss that, it can be very confusing. This is kind of like that. So what we do know is there is a judgment, and there is a Lamb's book of life, and the Lamb's book of life is consulted at judgment. Here's what it says in Revelation chapter 20. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. From his presence earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. So perhaps there are a lot of books being described in the Bible. Sometimes even it's probably just a metaphor or an image for us to connect to. At least some are referencing this special book, the book of life. It is a picture of deliverance to eternal life, and others you will use that picture when they're talking about deliverance or judgment But it seems that most accept this imagery to indicate the list of those who will come through judgment blessed, not condemned. That's whose names are in the Lamb's book of life. Those who at the end of judgment will come through, as I'll talk about next week, maybe smelling like smoke, but getting through. They get through okay, not condemned. This is the list of the family. This is the book of the tree uh, of the family tree, the adopted family of Almighty God Himself, the list of the sheep, not goats; the wheat, not tares. the citizens, not those left outside; the grapevines, not the thorn bushes. This is the list of the ones He knows, those who identity, whose identities is important; those whose identities are in Him, versus those whose only hope is in themselves; those who chose to worship at the cult of self, the worship at the religion of their own brilliance or of special personal insight, those who trusted in their own understanding versus the understanding revealed through Almighty God, those people who their names will not be in the book of life because the book of life is for those who have accepted as a free gift the salvation purchased by Jesus Christ for all of us. That's whose name will be in there. I don't know, and maybe no one knows, and maybe it transcends our understanding, although I love digging into it. Again, mysteries are fun to dig into, not to just walk away from. I love that. But at some level, God has chosen and those of us whose names are in the Lamb's book of life, and we can have confidence in that. You can have confidence in your name being there if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ. What are the mechanics of the book? We can't be super clear because we don't have a mechanics chapter. If we did, we could be. God hasn't revealed that to us. We can guess at it and we can seek to understand it and we can look at these passages. <clears throat> but we can have confidence that our names are there. This is, a, this is important. I believe the passage in Daniel is teaching about that one. And I think we see that because of the connection between Revelation and Hebrews, the connection between the book and the resurrection, which we now see in Daniel chapter 12 also. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. This is a prediction of the great resurrection, I believe. The great resurrection. Someday, if you don't know this, this is part of Christian doctrine. This is a fundamental teaching. Someday, all the dead will live again. All of them. 100%. I don't know who all that includes. Whoever counts as part of the human race will be raised to live again. Cavemen, yeah, probably so. Natives, Native Americans and other cultures, people who were alive a long time ago, yep, all of them, every single human, all of the billions of humanity will be raised to life again. Both those who are still alive at the moment and those who are dead, even those who have been dead for a long, long time. Jesus teaches this, John 5, 28 and 29, "'Do not marvel at this for an hour's coming "'when all who are in the tomb will hear His voice "'and come out. "'Those who have done good to the resurrection of life, "'those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment.'" And, and Jesus teaches this to His, again, in Mark chapter 12, "'As for the dead being raised, "'this is when He's fighting with the Sadducees "'who didn't believe in a resurrection.'" And Jesus never has any tolerance for their ignorance of the resurrection. He slaps them down every time they come to him with a question about this. As for the dead being raised, have you not read the book of Moses in the passage about the bush? I love the sarcasm there. You know that passage about the bush? You've read that one? That's, all, that's exactly what's going on there. How God spoke to him saying, I'm the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You're quite wrong. God is the How could God? Wait a minute. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You go, but wait a minute. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they are dead. So how could God be the God of the living if his three three of his big hitters at the beginning are all dead, right? How does that work? Because in God's understanding, they are as good as alive. He's going to raise them back. That's why the idiom of referring to asleep for dead makes sense. To God, dead people are just people who haven't been woken yet. He's going to wake them all up. Someday all of the dead will be woken. And when when he wakes everyone up, And there will be a time for judgment at that time, at that great resurrection. Paul says it this way But I confess to you, Acts 24, that according to the way, which they call a sect, I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets, having a hope in God, which these men themselves accept, that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. This isn't unclear. This is part of Christian doctrine, and it's not unclear from Jesus or Paul or any of the others. In 1 Thessalonians, Paul, which we just, uh, John read a minute ago, but we do not want you to be misinformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with a great shout, with a voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. These, this, this resurrection, this is our comfort. This is our hope. This is our encouragement. <clears throat> we live in today for eternity. Those are the only two times we live. We live in the present and we live in eternity as Christians. This is a key tenet to our faith, our final hope. Listen, our final hope is not in our ability, even as believers, to make the world a better place. That is not our final hope. Of course, we work diligently to accomplish that charity, love, sacrifice, etc. As aspects of those, every type of, of social improvement is totally appropriate. They are key, but as a replacement for the hope of the resurrection, all of those utterly and completely fail. They do not replace the hope of the resurrection. We're not going to make the world a better and better and better place, and that Jesus gets so impressed that he comes back. That's not how this is going to work. There's going to be a resurrection when he determines it, and that is our final hope. In the meantime, sure, we work as as I just talked about, and we we love that that we work and serve and, and sacrifice for one another and for him and worship. But if your hope, if your best hope for the future is in the brilliance or the altruism or the justice of human beings, you're on thin ice. And it's melting fast. Daniel twelve three says this, and those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars, forever and ever. I'm going to wrap up with this (coughs) thought, and then bring this all together again next week as we kind of uh, bring these pieces of concept of judgment from Hebrews eleven and the great cloud of witnesses. Um in this account, so I want to look at these passages that we find great comfort in when it comes to this idea of us, in the meantime, shining out brightly. This is what we do until death, until the resurrection, and once the resurrection happens. <coughs> Matthew 13, when the, re- then the righteous shall shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father, he who has ears, let him hear. Philippians 2, one of the key passages we all try to memorize in this church. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. We are here salt and light. We shine out like stars. We shine like the sun. We shine like the brightness of the sun and of the sky. We shine like someone who has confidence in a promise-making and promise-keeping God. See, here's the deal. We get to do this stuff because we know there is a resurrection. When my grandfather died, and and I was at Pine Cove at the time, and they got this huge card, and everyone signed it. All 150 staff members signed this thing. It It was very sweet. And in the middle of it, one guy had written one phrase, just said, our hope was never in this life. It was always in the resurrection. I have never found more comfort in a sentence and a phrase than that one right there. And that's the truth of it. I don't look forward to dying. I assume that I don't look forward to dying because I'm ignorant, because I don't understand. If I really understood this the way God did, then I wouldn't dread death at all. It would just be, I would be looking forward to the adventure of discovering what's on the other side for the resurrection. In the meantime, our job is to, through His power because of our identity in Him, to shine out like stars especially in a dark and perverse generation. Because we have a promised hope. Because we have a promise. We're going to come back to that next week. We're going to wrap up with this. This is the promise. Jesus' words himself, I believe, directly to his followers. John six forty. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. When that last day comes, this is our confidence, is in the promise that Jesus made to raise us up on the last day. It's such a beautiful thing. It's what gives us such freedom. Now we can risk. Now we can minister. Now we can give and sacrifice because our hope isn't here. Every day, every year at least, most of us, how many of us have had a reminder this year that this is not our home? As good a life as we have, every time we start to sink roots, something comes along to remind us, no, that's dangerous. Tear those roots up. We are, we are nomads, strangers in a strange land. We're sojourners in this place. This is not our home. So while we're here, we're a blessing to the world until he takes us. And someday, no matter how you die, God will raise us up, all of us. My prayer for everyone who's here would be that you would be raised up to eternal life. The kind of crazy life that God will have for those who are raised up by him forever to eternal life. The rejoicing and the reunification of that time is beyond anything we can possibly comprehend. So that's where I want our hearts to be today as we imagine a God who's going to do this. As you stand, go ahead and stand. Let's pray together. And as God is working in our hearts to remind us of who he is, what he's done, and what he's going to do. So I hope you'll be back next week for us to, to finish unpacking this idea um, in, in new ways. Father, we're so grateful for what you've done and what you're doing. God, I thank you that the power of your word to bring us encouragement. And so we encourage one another with this. I'm, I get so proud. Um, I feel like a proud Papa when I see um, our church shining out like a light in a dark and perverse world when I see us serving one another and taking care of one another and reaching out into the lost world to take care of them too. And I'm so glad that we get to, as a community, each be a part of each other doing that. Thank you for that. Lord, I pray that, that now we would continue to live that out in this dark and perverse time, uh, that as we shine out, knowing that there's coming a day, there's a last day, and on that last day, you will raise us up to be with you. That where you are, there we may also be. I look forward to that day, Lord, um, to the degree we can, understanding your Son. Guide us today, Lord, to go out and live as though that were true, because it is. Thank you, Father, in your Son's name. Amen.